in three, two, one. Help me with the countdown. There it is. Hey, not this picture, but this picture. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I didn't take this picture, unfortunately. It looks like a, a pretty nice view. Uh, in fact, I've been out attacking the garden at our place lately. Maybe you've been doing the same with the, the rain coming and the sun shining and all the weeds coming up. Um, I would love if um, our place had a view like this. Some mountains and some trees and a lovely lake there and sort of a beach shore. Instead, we've got a view of uh, weeds that I still haven't dealt with. Um, think it's a pretty good photo. It's okay. It's not bad. All right. There's something wrong with this photo. I wonder if you can tell what it is. Maybe if I show you another photo taken at exactly the same place a few minutes later, you'll see what's wrong. So either that's an enormous cat or it's not a lake. <laughs> that's actually a concrete wall that the cat is sitting on. You can see it now. Yeah, isn't it funny that when you don't have the right picture, <laughs> things just don't quite make sense. You, you could actually think you had the right picture, but actually you had the wrong picture. And that's exactly the situation for the Israelites at the time of Ezekiel. We saw this last week. Uh, they had a wrong picture of God. Now, the reason for that was because they were in exile away from their homeland of Israel and of Judah you remember where they were in exile too? They were in exile in Babylon. Yeah, so these guys had come through and, and invaded. Um, they were in exile from the promised land. And so they thought, well, God has broken his promises. He doesn't care about us. He's gone back on his word. But that's a false picture. It's a wrong picture of God. In fact, God sent Ezekiel to speak to the Israelites in exile to correct that false picture of God that they had, to sort of put the cat back in the frame, if you want, okay? And Ezekiel's message is this. God sent them into exile because of their sin. It's not because he was not powerful enough to keep them in the promised land. And it's not because he didn't care. And it's not because he didn't, it's not because he broke his promises. It's because of their sin, their idolatry, their spiritual adultery against him. And last week we saw how our sin also deserves the judgment of God. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And just like the Israelites, we therefore need to look at our own sin in horror. And that's a not, not a comfortable place <laughs> to leave people for a week, is it? But it's important to sit there. It's important to sit in the place where we see our sin, we see what it deserves, we see what it costs God to deal with it in the death of his son and to be in horror over it. That is, in fact, a healthy place to sit. But now in the book of Ezekiel, we turn the page, as it were, and we see something new. See, it's been some years now since Ezekiel's first run of visions and his first messages for the Israelites. And now the Israelites start hearing on the Babylonian grapevine some really distressing news. They hear that their homeland and even the temple is under attack again. 
So it's a bit like if you open up that Fires Near Me app, if you've seen that one, you can see where the fires are. It's a bit like they, they open up the app because they're not at home, okay? They open up the app and they're just checking, like, how close is the fire coming to my home? And the fire keeps creeping closer and closer, right? Here come the Babylonians again and they're sacking Israel through and through. They're making sure that there's really not much left except just the farmers and the poor, okay? And then they open up the app again and they say, oh my goodness, they've destroyed the temple, this place, it's our last hope that we might go back to the promised land and meet with God. If they destroy the temple, we're no longer his people. But see, again, that's the false picture. God's people are not just those who can meet with him at the temple. God's people are those who repent of their sin and trust in him. And for the Israelites who are realizing that, they might go, oh, this is actually very right that God is judging us in this way. Even so, there's a question in the background. Even if they've gotten that lesson, there's still a big question, which is, God, why are you judging us? You're right to judge us, sure, but why are you judging us and not all of them? Why are you judging what we've done to you, but not what the Babylonians have done to you? Why aren't you judging these other countries in these other cities right now? In other words... What's with this injustice? We're right to receive judgment, but surely they are too. So why aren't you judging them? It's sort of an elephant in the room, isn't it? And, and you could call this sort of a belief blocker, if you want. So the Israelites are learning now, what is this true picture of God? The stuff that they'd forgotten. They're learning what their sin really is and what it really cost. They're learning that they really do need God and on his terms, not theirs. But this elephant in the room, this question of justice, could well block all that they've been learning. Because if they can't answer that question, then they might go, well, gee, even if God's right to judge us, he doesn't judge others. Well, he's not fair. I don't think that's a God that I really want to trust and follow and worship anyway. Do you see this could be a belief blocker for them? In fact, it's the same for us today, if you think about it. Now, obviously, we're not in exile um, and under God's judgment like the Israelites were. But just like them, we do live in a world of injustice. Is that true? We absolutely live in a world of injustice where people in charge wield enormous power and often, in fact, use it to dishonor God and oppress people. And they're allowed to just keep doing it. Think about, for example, what we've seen in the news lately. In Hong Kong, a corrupt government bullies its citizens and ensures that they don't have any freedom. Greedy dynasties in Asia keep the rich rich and the poor poor. Networks of criminals engage in human trafficking. And we might say, God, I know you're right to judge sin, but why aren't you judging that sin right now? Why aren't you putting an end to that sin right now? Or on a personal level, you might have a corrupt boss, right? Who maybe is like making sure you don't get paid the proper wages. I was chatting with someone not too long ago who has this exact problem. Um, they were saying that they're, they're employed under a casual sort of arrangement, but, and this is quite common, a casual sort of arrangement, but they're really demanded to be there all the time. 
Um, the boss, because they're casual, can just terminate them whenever they want and they don't have any entitlements. They're paying them less than the award wage and the person says, I can't actually address it with my boss because if I even ask the question about my wage, they'll just cut me loose and they're right to do so, like they're entitled to do so. <laughs> Injustice. Maybe you've got a situation like that. Some of you are in fact facing this daily. There are governments around the world that are enacting laws that lead people away from biblical truth. God, why haven't you put a stop to it? There are places around the world where Christianity is illegal. There are powerful media companies bent on pushing anti-biblical messages. We may even have colleagues or acquaintances who are up to dodgy stuff with their finances and they're getting ahead while you're trying to be honest and feel like you're slipping behind. God, why all this injustice? Why haven't you put a stop to it? But now as we turn to the book of Ezekiel, we actually get an answer to this belief blocker. Not only for them, but for us. God, what will you do about injustice? The answer is, in fact, by getting for us a true picture of God. Because remember, our theme in Ezekiel is, so that you would know that I am the Lord. It's this phrase repeated about 70 times through the book. What do we need to know about the Lord to answer this belief blocker? We need to know that God is just. But we just have to wait. And we need to know that God is faithful so we can have faith in his promises. Those are the two things we'll see today. God is just. We just have to wait. And secondly, God is faithful so have faith in his promises. Would you pray with me as we dive into Ezekiel 28 to see these things? Lord God, I pray that this morning as we open up your word, um, our response would not merely be, uh, gee, that was good, or that wasn't so good. Uh, Lord, I pray that our response would in fact be um, a settled conviction in our minds about who you are and passion in our hearts to respond with our whole life and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at Ezekiel Chapter 28 today, or part of it, would you turn please to page 716 in your Bibles, um, if you're using a church Bible, otherwise Ezekiel 28, verse 20, we're going to kick in at. The first thing we'll see is that we need to know that God is just, but we just have to wait. Who do you think is the most powerful country in the world right now? Maybe China? China? because of their economy and, and that we're very tied to the Chinese economy, of course, in Australia. Maybe America because of their military. Uh, maybe, in fact, it's Australia. Because, like, no one would want to move or invade here. We've got all these dangerous spiders and snakes. We actually pose the greatest threat whatsoever, right? Who's the most powerful country in the world? Well, there's lots of candidates. But back in the ancient world, there were countries and regions that, willed, uh, that had enormous power much like America or China or someone like that today. Think about Egypt, right? We know lots about Egypt in the ancient world. They were immensely powerful. Think about the Philistines. We often hear in the Bible, they were often attacking God's people. Um, and uh, here in chapter sort of 25 through to 32 in Ezekiel, we get this catalog of all these powerful nations, including Egypt, including the Philistines, and including a whole lot of powerful city-states. So sort of these regions. 
that Ezekiel, uh, God says to Ezekiel, speak to those nations, not to Israel, now speak to them. And the message is, God is coming for you. All right? So the first 24 chapters of the book is Israel, God is coming for you because of your sin. But now here, chapters 25 to 32, it's God is coming for you, Egypt. Watch out, Philistines. God is coming for you. And here in chapter 28, verse 20, we meet a particular city-state whose name is Sidon. Um, There's sort of a a painting of what Sidon might have looked like there. You can see sort of the castle out in a bridge on an island there. Um, Sidon was a a very powerful city-state built sort of on a peninsula. Um, It had high walls and a big cliff so that it was very difficult to invade. So this is like... Um, Think America with their massive military, like no one would dare invade American soil, okay? That's Sidon is quite similar because of where they're positioned. Um, Also, uh, down the road, Tyre is another hugely important and and indefensible city. These two are kind of like partners in crime, Tyre and Sidon. Uh, They're both mentioned here in chapter 28. Um, Sidon as well, uh, really interesting, they actually produced glass blowing. They're the guys who invented it. So we have them to thank for like the windows in our buildings. These guys are are smart. They're economically very healthy. They're they're going forward in terms of inventions. They mass produced purple dye for clothing, which purple was all the rage back in about 600 BC. Uh, It it sort of connoted uh, royalty. So they would often make these things for kings. You, You see, they're very successful. They're very well defended. In fact, so great was their success that the kings of Sidon and Tyre, or Tyre down the road, were almost viewed as gods. Look at the top of chapter 28, verse 2. Ezekiel has a message for the king of Tyre, who, remember, is kind of like a partner in crime with the king of Sidon. He says this, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a god, I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. Yet you're a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. Do you see what these kings think of themselves? They think that they are gods because they sit on an incredibly growth-oriented economy. And they sit in this indefensible, indefensible? uninvadable city. <laughs> impregnable, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> An impregnable city. Uh, it seems crazy to think that they would ever fall, but take a look back over at chapter 28, verse 20. It seems crazy to think that these guys would fall, but that's exactly what God actually says would happen. God says to Ezekiel, the word of the Lord comes to him. Do you see that? And then verse 21, he says, Son of man, Ezekiel, Set your face against Sidon. Now, just imagine that. Imagine staring down a world superpower. Okay? Imagine facing up to the military of America. Imagine facing up to the economy of China. All right? Something like that. In the ancient world, that's what Sidon is like. So imagine staring down the military and the economy of Sidon. And saying, I have a message from God for you. Like these guys could just wipe you out without a a second thought. 
These guys have the money to do whatever they want to you and their king thinks that he is a God. Wait, you're coming to me telling me that you have a message from God? I'm God. But who is it that has this message for Sidon and these other nations? It is the Lord. There is only one. And look at what he says, verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. It's not just Ezekiel standing there alone, staring them down. It is the Lord God. And he says, I am against you. Think like in Egypt, hundreds of years before this, during the Exodus. God's people, the Israelites, are in slavery. And then God says to Pharaoh, I am against you. And what does he do? He sends plague after plague after plague after plague. And then he drowns the entire army of Pharaoh in the Red Sea, the greatest army in the world at the time. When the Lord says he's against you, you don't stand a chance, right? It's like me going into the ring against a professional boxer, right? I'd get snapped like the twig that I am, right? And for Sidon, that means, take a look, verse 23. When the Lord chooses to bring judgment, it comes. And so he says, I will send pestilence into her. There'll be blood in the streets. The slain shall fall in her midst. The sword will be against her on every side. Then they will know that I'm the Lord. It's not their king who's a god. I'm God. It's not their military that has power. I have power. It's not their economy that gives them security. There's only security found in me. And if I'm not on your side, you're in big trouble. You see, God is going to bring judgment on these cities and these countries. And in fact, that's exactly what happens to Sidon and the rest years later. In fact, Babylon sort of sweeps through like they did with Israel. They sweep through Sidon, this place. And uh, now, you know, some hundreds of years later, um, Sidon is literally just a a dirty town filled with ruins. It's got sort of about 5,000 people living about in it. It's not a place you would want to live. It's turned from this huge superpower into crumbling ruins. See, God actually holds the fate of kings and nations and cities in his hands. Take a look at this in Proverbs 21, verse 1. I'll chuck these up on the screen for you. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. It is not ultimately the kings and rulers and leaders of people that are in charge. It is God. Or Isaiah chapter 40, verses 23 to 24. He brings princes to nothing. He makes the rules of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Right? Like fellas, you know, if you shave in the morning, And you've just got that stubble that just sort of goes in the sink and you wash it away. That's what the nations of the earth are like. That's what the greatest empires in the world are like. Or they are like grass that just once you've done your lawn mowing, right, it's just scattered about on the the lawn. So you get your blower and 
oh, there it goes over into the neighbor's place or whatever, right? That is what the empires of the world are like and the kings of the world are like. When God blows, when God turns on the tap and washes the stubble down the sink, so to speak, they're gone. What is their power next to the power of the Lord? Think about some of the big players in history, okay? Uh, Where's Genghis Khan? Where's the Mongolian Empire? His son, Kublai Khan, actually ruled about a quarter of the known world at a point. Where are they now? Think about Babylon, right? This great nation that subdued everyone in the area. Where are they now? Where's the Roman Empire? Centuries of unchallenged rule. And now Rome is just a place where you go to get a good pizza and, you know, there are five popes per square mile or whatever the stat is. You know, it's, it's a tourist city, not a, not a world empire. Think about even, you know, the, the British Empire. They're trying to, to Brexit away from the thing that they created, you know, that, empires rise and empires fall. And in fact, God is the one that brings everything to nothing in time. He's the one who's sovereign over it all. Think about even powerful companies, right? Like if you look at the the highest GDP, so the highest like wealth per country, uh, something like 50 out of the top 100 countries are in fact companies, right? There are many companies that have greater wealth than many countries of the earth. Kodak. Kodak used to be synonymous with camera. Where are they now? Right? Toys R Us. I know. Sky's very disappointed. (laughs) They used to be synonymous with toys. Blockbuster. Oh, go and rent a, a video from Blockbuster. Of course. Video easy. Where are they now? See, companies rise and fall. God is sovereign over it all. Powerful people rise and fall. God is sovereign over it all. He's the one authoring history. He's pen crossing every T of an empire or company's rise and he's pen dotting every I of their fall. Now, we need to be careful with this. This is actually a very dangerous truth because if you're not careful, you can make a connection here that the Bible doesn't make for us. It's a kind of connection that, um, bless him, uh, Israel Folau Uh, made just this last week or so, if you've seen it in the news, where he said that the bushfires in Australia are a direct result of God's judgment on our sin here today, right? Uh, Not true. Not true. Um, Because we need to be careful about connections like that. Um, Here in Ezekiel, the scriptures make that connection for us, okay? Here is their sin and what it is. And here is what God does in reply. He's going to make sure that these people are conquered. We don't have that connection when we think about Australia, do we? The Bible doesn't talk about Australia's sin in that kind of detail. Yes, all sin deserves God's judgment, but not everything we see in the world is God's direct judgment on specific sin. In fact, Jesus repudiates that kind of thinking himself. There's, uh, he talks about this in one of the Gospels. There's a tower that falls on people and everybody goes, ah, oh, it's because of their sin. And Jesus goes, no, it's not. We should be careful in judging others in that way. But what we do have here, as I said, with Sidon is a direct connection between their sin and God's coming judgment. He does make that link. Their sin will bring God's judgment because their kings think that they're gods. They oppress, mock and attack God's people. And for that reason, God will bring judgment and it's coming soon. What does that tell us? He is just. 
but we just have to wait. The judgment isn't here yet, but it is coming. In the meantime, Israel's in exile, and they need to trust this God, that he will put an end to injustice, that he will put an end to the wrong and the sin perpetrated by these countries and empires and cities. And it's the same for us. Every corrupt institution in this world will one day fall beneath the sovereign hand of God. Not necessarily today, but the day is coming. Those that enslave workers below minimum wage, those that traffic vulnerable people, those who cook their books and rip people off, bosses that mistreat and manipulate their workers, governments that rob their citizens of freedom, rulers that think that they're invincible. One day, it will be seen that God is the one in charge. And they'll see it. And God will bring them to nothing. Now, when will that happen? Consider this picture from Philippians chapter 2. Turn with me to page 981 if you could. Philippians chapter 2. Now, here in this section, um, Paul is talking about the kind of relationships that the Philippian church ought to have with one another. And he says, have the kind of relationships with one another that, um, that models Jesus. And so he goes through and he talks about the humility of Jesus because we ought to have humility and, and kindness and, and gentleness in our relationships with one another. So he talks about how Jesus, the Son of God, became nothing. He came to earth as a baby. He left his place in heaven. He left his glory and came and, in fact, was, was horribly mistreated by people while he was here on earth. But he grew up. He never sinned. He died on a cross, a shameful death, to pay for our sins, the judgment we deserve. But that's not the end of the story because Jesus didn't just come humbly and then that's it. He didn't just die shamefully and then that's it. Take a look at verse 9. What we see here is that God has highly exalted Jesus. What does that mean? It means that he's raised Jesus up. God raised Jesus from the dead, showing that he really is the Son of God, the King of Kings. Not just a baby that we think about at Christmas and all these Christmas carols. Not just a man who died on a cross, but God the Son who died on a cross. And God the Son who was raised in glory. And then some days later, in fact, he was raised back to the right hand of the Father in heaven, which is where Jesus now is. So God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that, and notice this, stick with me on this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see what that's saying? The day is coming when Jesus will return and every knee will bow before him. The knees of those who are great in this life as well as those who are small in this life. The knees of those who are wealthy in this life as well as those who are poor. Every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus and some will do it willingly and joyfully. 
those who've trusted him and known him in this life. Some will do it begrudgingly and terrified because now they realize who's really in charge. God will bring justice when he sends his son to return. And then everyone will have to give an account for how they've treated God and how they've treated the people that he's created. He will bring injustice to account. So therefore know that God will bring justice for all evil, for every abuse of power, including against you and including against God's people today around the world. God is just. We just have to wait. But it then raises a second question. How do we wait well? The Israelites are in exile for who knows how many more years. As it turns out, at least another generation. That's a long time to wait. Our lives can be pretty long, especially when we have to deal with injustice and suffering ourselves. How do we wait well? It's by knowing the second truth, that God is faithful. So have faith in his promises. In the book of Ezekiel, this truth is like a, it's like a cool drink on a hot day, right? It's like you've just been out in the middle of summer and you've just blown all the grass clippings onto the neighbor's lawn, like I said, and then you, you come in and you've got the, the iced tea with ice in it, right? Where you've got a nice, cool, refreshing glass of... Ah, refreshing. That is this truth, that God is faithful. Because we've seen so much of God's judgment, righteous judgment for sin and his coming judgment on the nations. But here, finally, is like we're turning the corner and here's the hope. Here's the hope. We see God's kindness. And in fact, um, this point right here, in, uh, back in Ezekiel, chapter 28, page 716, um, this point right here in um, verses 24 to 26 is dead center of this section of Ezekiel. Like I said, sort of chapters 25 to 32 is God's judgment on the nations for their, their injustice that they're perpetrating. And then this one here, verses 24 to 26 of chapter 28, which is the message of hope, is bang in the center of that section, literally. There are 97 verses on each side. It's right in the center. It's, it's like it's got flashing lights and sirens around it saying, here's the main point. Here's the thing that I want you to notice. So take a look, verse 24. For the house of Israel, there shall be no more a briar to pick or a thorn to hurt them among their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. So I actually remember um, when my parents bought the land that I grew up on. I was about 11 or 12 at the time. Uh, the first time that we visited, it was covered in lantana. I don't know if you've ever had to clear lantana from... It's not a fun job. So we, we get there, we're little kids, and you know, me and my brother, we see all this lantana everywhere, and we're like, oh, I don't know about living here. This doesn't look great. Um, and we sort of look around this, this land. Uh, we find a chicken coop. Like, that's kind of fun. And then behind the chicken coop is a bull <laughs> with horns. It notices us just after we notice it, and it chases us around the chicken coop. We duck in and hide, like behind this lantana and these are bull like spikes on every side okay and we're thinking we do not want to live here this is not home for us now the next time that we visited that place 
all of the lantana had been cleared, the chicken coop was no more, and the bull was fenced off over on the neighbor's property, okay? No more thorns, no more spiky things. This was now fit to be our home. And that's the situation for the Israelites. He says to them, I'm going to bring judgment on the nations oppressing you because they are like thorns that keep poking you. I'm going to act for you and do good to you. And the result, verse 25, is this. Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they will dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob. He says, I'll remove the thorns, I'll remove the spikes, and you'll get to come home. Back to the promised land. Finally, a picture of hope. But notice something else here. That God says that he'll gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they're scattered. And what will he do? He says he will manifest his holiness. Means he'll show his holiness. Just means he'll show his character, who he really is. It's just like that phrase, then they will know that I'm the Lord. I'll manifest my holiness. But what's a bit weird is here, that's being used to mean like my holiness in terms of my restoration of my people. I'll show my kindness and my faithfulness. But then look back at verse 22, when he's talking about judgment of the nations. You notice something similar. They will know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her inside on and manifest my holiness in her. Now, it's a bit weird. This phrase is being used in two different ways. On the one hand, it's meaning restoration and kindness and faithfulness. And on the other hand, manifest my holiness means judgment. How can it mean both of those things? How can God's character be both of those things? Well, in fact, it is. It's two sides of the same coin. God is both faithful and merciful and kind and just in his judgment. He will bring all sin to account and he will restore and be merciful to those who turn to him. For God to be holy, he needs to be both of those things. If he is anything less than he is not God. He is both the judge and the saviour. He is both just and merciful. And if we're waiting for God to bring justice, then we need to know that he is both of those things. Otherwise, he won't deal with the evil in the world, even if he does kindness to us. Or he will deal with the evil in the world, but not be kind to us. He needs to be both of these things. And then here's what we see for the Israelites, the beneficiaries of his kindness. Look again at verse 25. The Israelites will dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant, who? Jacob. Because God made a promise centuries earlier to the Israelites' ancestors, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That promise was they will get to live in this land and dwell securely in it. And what do you notice? God is saying you will dwell in that land, not a different land, this one. Because this is the promised land. I had to take you out of it because you turned to idols away from me. But if you turn back to me, I'm now going to put you back in it. He's fulfilling his promise to his people. 
And verse 26 paints a little more of the picture. They shall dwell securely in it. They shall build houses, plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely. Notice the repetition. This isn't like a rental, okay, where you can't put nails in the walls. I've been there and done that. And, you know, you can't put an extra extension on if you want. You, you can't do anything, really. And if the landlord says, hey, you've got to get out, then you've got to get out. Here, God's saying, no, no, you can build houses. You can plant vineyards. You can put things up on the walls, right? You will dwell securely in the land. I'm bringing you home. And when I execute judgments upon all the neighbors who have treated these people with contempt, then they will know that I am the Lord. You see, we can only know who God is, this full picture of who he is, if we know that he is both just and faithful. And he hasn't changed. He's still the same God today. In fact, this picture of faithfulness to God's people just comes through so clearly in that other reading we had this morning from John chapter 14. Turn over there with me, page 901. Here, Jesus talks to his disciples, his followers, and he says, look, I'm going away. What he means by that is uh, after he dies on the cross and then rises again from the dead, he's going to ascend to heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father, like I explained before. That's what he means. I'm, I'm going away. After my resurrection, I'm leaving. And he says that he's staying there until he returns. But his purpose to go is to prepare a home for his followers. Look at verse 2. So he says them first in verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled that I'm going away. Okay, Believe in God, believe in me. And then he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's a picture of dwelling securely with God, with Jesus, for eternity. Now, who will get to enjoy that home? Verse 4. You know the way to where I'm going, he says to his disciples. And Thomas asked the question, verse 5, Well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Then Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's the way. How do we get to this home that God has in store for his people? Through Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, who himself is the way. There's no other way. The truth. There's no other truth. And the life. There's no other way to eternal life except through Jesus. Because Jesus alone can take God's judgment for us. As we talk about sin and the just judgment to come, all of us, without Christ, are under that judgment. All of us would bow the knee before Jesus unwillingly, begrudgingly, and in horror. Because we deserve the judgment of God except that God in his faithfulness to his eternal plan sent his son Jesus to die for us and to open the way to this home by taking the judgment we deserve on himself. Only he can do that. 
And the good news is for everyone who believes that Jesus took their sin on the cross and faced God's judgment for them as the Son of God, they have a home in heaven. Home is coming. It's not here on earth. It's in this place that God has prepared for you. You know, this whole life with all of its injustices and struggles is just like really the first day of first grade. Can you remember the first day of first grade? Probably not. It was probably very important at the time, right? Some of us can remember it better than others, perhaps. But it was probably very important at the time. It's not today, right? This life is just like the first day of first grade. Eternity comes. True home comes. All of this life is like staying in a hotel for a night on your way back home. That's what this life is with all of its struggle and suffering and injustice. Where is your true home? If you have faith in Jesus, he has gone to prepare a place for you. God is faithful, so have faith in his promise, his promise to bring you home. But in the meantime, we're not home yet, so we need to fix our eyes. Colossians talks about this. Set your eyes on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart on things above, not on earthly things. And I want to say that to sort of maybe three different groups of people who might be here this morning. The first group of people, perhaps, you're hearing all this about God's coming judgment and about home and about God dealing with injustice and and all of that. And you're thinking, yeah, you know what? I do actually deserve God's coming judgment. I can now see that. I see that this picture of God is in fact a true picture and, and I see that one day I will have to bow before Jesus and I don't think in fact that it's going to be a good day for me. But what do I do? Well, if that's you, Jesus wants you to hear these words. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So turn to Jesus today. Confess your sins to him. Say, yes, I do deserve this coming judgment. But thank you, Jesus, for taking it in my place. And now I'm going to trust you and learn to follow you. And if you do that, you can trust that, in fact, you are going home to be with the Lord forever. You're going to be on the right side of history. So that's one group of people. And if if that's you this morning, um, please chat with someone that you know here. If you don't know anyone here, come and chat with me or with my wife, Sky. Uh, we would love to, to help you figure out what to do with Jesus. There's a second group of people here. Perhaps you're hearing all of this and you're going, I'm glad that God has a home for me. But if I asked you, why should God let you into that home? Why should God let you into heaven? You would go, yeah, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> And you might say something like, gee, I think it's maybe because I've been pretty good. Like I've been, I've been reasonably kind to people in my life and I've tried my best. And maybe you've got a picture of God that he's kind of like, at the end of the day, he's like an old mate. And he's like, oh yeah, come on, she'll be right. Come on in. That's not the picture of God that we see here, right? Hopefully you can see that. <laughs> now, if that's you, you could have even been coming to church for years upon years upon years, right? Um, and this stuff just, maybe you've forgotten it, or maybe it's, it's flown by you, but here's the reality. There's no amount of good works that will get you into this home that Jesus has prepared for you. Your only hope is Jesus himself. 
trusting in his death in your place, trusting that he took God's judgment for you. This is your only hope. And if, again, if you want to find out more about that, then please um, chat with someone that you know here today. Don't assume that things are fine. There's a third group of people here today, those who have turned to Jesus in faith. To you, I simply say, know that your true home is coming. God will deal with injustice in the world. The injustice that you see, the injustice that you experience, the injustice that God's people everywhere around the world experience. He will deal with it. And you will get to come home, finally free from the suffering, the pain, the heartache, the brokenness. I remember my Bible college lecturer once saying to me, you know, sometimes that truth is literally all you can hold on to. And as someone who um, in years prior has struggled uh, really quite immensely with um, anxiety and even with depression, um, honestly, yes, sometimes this truth really is all you can hang on to. I'm going home because of Jesus. <laughs> when life seems really unfair, when the injustice of the world is too heavy to carry, when you're, you're suffering really suffering, this truth is as solid as any to hold on to. In fact, um, there's one fellow who lived a while back, uh, Richard Baxter. He was around sort of the 1700s. He realized that he didn't really have that rock to stand on. Christian guy. In fact, he's a pastor. Um, And so he, he realized, you know, I'm struggling massively with a whole lot of injustices. He was a very sickly man, tons of diseases. And so he decided, I need to learn to stand on this rock, to know that I'm really going home. He decided, I'm going to spend half an hour every day meditating on the words of Scripture about this home to come. So he read through John 14, the the passage we just looked at. He looked at the bit in Ezekiel. He looked at other passages, and he really just sort of took these truths and let them knock about in his head and his heart for half an hour every day. And it utterly changed his life. He actually ended up writing this whole book about the home to come called The Saints Everlasting Rest. He ended up writing another literally like four million words of theology. He is the most well-written theologian in church history, partially because he meditated so much on the home to come. What would happen for you if you took half an hour, even this week, to meditate on your true home, to read the words of Scripture, let it knock about in your mind and in your heart, how would that refocus the way that you experience suffering, the way that you experience injustice, or even the injustice that you see in the world? Your true home is coming, friends. Know that God is just. We just have to wait. And know that God is faithful, so have faith in his promises. Let's pray. Lord God, we do turn to you and look to you now and Ask that you would be kind to us, please, in in helping us to see you for who you truly are. We ask, Lord, that that you would um, speak especially to those in this room who are hurting, who are finding life difficult, who have family or friends or people that they know around the world who are suffering under injustice. Uh, Lord, those who carry even the, the sense of the burdens of this world very strongly and very keenly, Lord, we pray that you would encourage them this morning with the fact that you are bringing justice. We pray that you encourage our brothers and sisters around the world who similarly are struggling. 
Lord, we pray um, that you would also encourage those in this room who have turned to Christ, that their home is coming. Give them great comfort in that, even in the midst of whatever suffering they might face. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Dan. What blessed assurance we have in our home to come. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Nothing can compare to him. He will